Church family, will you be seated and take your copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 11. Uh, Here in a moment, we will pick up where we left off last week in chapter 11 and go through uh, the first part of chapter 12 this morning. As you get settled, I want to uh, remind you uh, of something we challenged you with last week. And if you were not here last week or joining us online, um, give you another opportunity to do uh, what we congregationally did together. And that is commit to how we will pray, send, and go as a congregation over the next uh, 12 months. And so um, we at the back of the room, for those that are in the room with us, uh, our orange connect, our orange uh, price and go cards, commitment cards, and we ask you to fill this out every year. Gives you an opportunity to say, here's how I'm committing to pray, here's how I'm, I'm committing to sending, and here's how I'm committing to going. If you're joining us online, you could go to the website on your screen right now, nensonriver.com slash PSG20, and the, uh, there's an online version of the card there. Uh, if you're here, you can uh, just drop it in the offering bucket on the way back if you didn't get a chance to commit with us last week. Uh, here's one of the reasons I want to stress this to you today is that as things continue to open uh, a little more amongst our partners, uh, there are opportunities for us to go even this fall and winter. Now, just because you say I'm interested in going to a place like Philly or Sub-Saharan Africa or one of our other partners does not necessarily mean you're saying I'll go on the very first trip back. And so our, um, our leaders of these mission teams are going to be reaching out to people in the next week, uh, kind of gauging your, your uh, level of tolerance for travel and going now versus maybe going uh, later in 2021, but we need to know who would like to at least be on those email lists and be contacted. And so if you did not do so last week, uh, grab one of those cards or fill out the online uh, form uh, uh, today because our mission, our mission team leaders are going to be contacting folks within the next week. And then you'll see that we've set a goal for the next 12 months for our Praise and Go mission offering of $60,000, um, which uh, divides amongst uh, our uh, national and international and state level missions offerings, as well as some of that money being reserved here for us to be able to send teams uh, to these varying places where we go with the gospel uh, to the nations. So if you didn't get a chance to do so, uh, fill out that card this week uh, for us. I'll invite you now to stand with me as we pick up in verse 27 of chapter 11, and we're going to read down through verse 9 of chapter 12 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai's daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem to the oak of Moreh, and, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, "'To your offspring I will give this land.'" So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he passed uh, to the hill country on, on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negeb. Let's pray together. Father, again this morning, we are grateful to you for your word, that it is truth to us. It is the word of God, delivered so that we may know how to come to you in faith, so that we may know how to live out our faith in acts of righteousness in this life. We are grateful, God, for this account that transitions from ancient days to a new promise, to one man, his wife, who through them all of the nations of the world would be blessed. We, Father, believers in this room, stand recognizing that it is through this promise that we find the blessing of Jesus Christ, the greatest blessing we could ever know, finds its source here. So would you open our eyes to the truth of scripture today? Give us spiritual eyes and minds so that we may know truth, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we transition into the third series here in Genesis. We began with Origins, the Pattern, where we saw that God had created everything that exists and he called it all good. And for God to call something good means that there was nothing wrong with it at all. It was a perfect creation, doing exactly what God had created it to do, bringing glory to him. The crowning work of that creation was mankind, Adam and Eve, the first peoples that God created from the dust of the earth and from the rib of man, made Adam and Eve and placed them in a perfect garden, the garden of God where man was with right relationship with one another and right relationship with nature and most importantly, in perfect and right relationship with their God. Holding to the covenant that God had made with them, which was stipulated that only they would not eat of one tree within the garden. And yet Adam and Eve ate of that tree, ushering in sin and death into our world, being cursed by God and removed from the garden but a promise being given to Eve that one day of her offspring would come one who would crush the serpent's head. The world spiraled into greater sin over the course of centuries. As man grew in their sin, so did man's wickedness. And we saw that through the various genealogies and ancient accounts of the pre-flood world, leaving only one man, Noah, 
as righteous in the eyes of God, finding righteousness not in and of itself, but through faith in God. And he believed God when God said that he would send a flood on the earth. And Noah constructed an ark, having been instructed by God to do so, and brings his wife and his three sons and their wives into that ark, along with the animals that God had provided, saving humanity and animal kind on this planet. They exit the ark and then sin again, enters both the family of Noah and the genealogies that were to follow until we get to what we considered last week, the Tower of Babel, where man sought to make a great name for himself and not for God. And so God disperses the nations of the earth. But we saw that, a hope, that hope remained through a line of faith passing from Adam through his son Seth down to Noah and then from Noah through his son Shem down to Abram. That God is always in control. That God is always providing. That the plan of God will not be thwarted by the sinful nature of man. That God will keep his first promise that through the offspring of Eve, one would come who would defeat evil. And that promise continues now through Abram. And so this section of Genesis we are calling Origins, the promise, where we will see the most important promise made in the Old Testament. The promise that through one man, Abram, in his old age, and his wife, Sarah, who had never conceived a child and was long past childbearing years, that through them, the promise of God would be made known, not only to a small group of people, but ultimately to the nations. Where we left last week was that God had judged the people of the earth for trying to make a great name for themselves, and that the rest of scripture is, is, is the undoing of the curse of Babel. And that undoing begins with one man in a foreign land being raised in a pagan family. So this text begins with giving us some background of who Abram is. Now, if you're new to this story, you've very likely heard of a guy named Abraham, but possibly not a guy named Abram. So let me clear that up for you. His name is Abram at this point. His wife's name is Sarai. Eventually, God will change both of their names, but that's not happened yet. And so while I may slip up and call him Abraham here in a little while, I'm going to do my best to call him what the text calls him while we're in this section of Scripture. And the Bible begins by giving us some background of Abram and his family, starting with the sons of his father, who is Terah, and their wives. Look with me again in verses 27 through 30. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. We're told that Haran fathered Lot because Lot becomes important to the story later, and as so often happens in the genealogy of Genesis, they just tell us about the people that we need to know about. There were other sons and daughters, obviously. Some are going to be discussed in a moment, but we're specifically told Haran fathered Lot because in a moment we're gonna be told that Haran died passing on to Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, Ur of the Chaldeans is in southern Iraq. So you need to imagine Mesopotamia with me, that 
south of Baghdad, this place that we so often know of as a war-torn country, was the cradle of civilization. And that is where Abram was born. It was where Abram was raised. It was where his family for generations had settled. And they did what men do. They took wives. Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now, now Sarai was barren. She had no child. We don't often get much detail about women uh, up until this point in the scripture. We've only seen details about Noah's wife and Noah's children's wives when uh, they were listed. Very little was actually said of them uh, at all. We would have to trace all the way back uh, really to Eve the last time we've seen uh, God deal with a woman. But we are now going to see God deal very specifically with a woman. And Sarai becomes a pattern by which God will so often work within the Old Testament. As she was barren and no child had been given to her, and she becomes the forerunner of many women within the Old Testament who had, not, who had been unable to conceive, but yet God would bless with a child, showing his mighty hand in their lives. So before we move on to... Uh, this family's journey from Ur to what will ultimately be uh, the promised land, it's important to make this note. Abram was not very likely, at least, very likely, Abram was not a believer in the one true God at this point. So how do we know this? Well, there's some hints within these three verses, these four verses that give us uh, this Understanding And the hints are contained within most of the names that are listed in verses 27 through 30. Terah, for instance, in the original language means the lunar month. Sarai, her name is the name of a goddess. Milcah was the daughter of a god. All of these having names which correspond to the ancient deity that was primarily worshipped in Mesopotamia at the time was the moon god. In Ur of the Chaldeans, 2,000 years before Jesus, which this is taking, about, this is taking place about 2,000 years before Jesus. So Abram is just as much removed from Jesus as we are now. So I think 4,000 years ago, the end of the Bronze Age, as cities, great cities began to be built and in antiquity there in Ur, the primary form of worship was polytheism. There were multiple gods that were worshiped, but the God of gods in that day would have been the moon God. And most of the names here listed in Genesis 11 are named after people who either directly worshiped the moon God, were uh, in that mythology, were kin to the moon God, or were somehow connected to it. And both Ur and the city of Haran, which by the way, don't confuse the son of Terah, Haran, with the city of Haran in the original language, they're spelled completely different. But in both these two cities, Ur and Haran, were the two primary cities of uh, ancient Mesopotamia where the moon god was worshipped. So we need to think of Abram in this moment as a pagan as a polytheistic worshiper of nature. He was worshiping the moon. 
And God does something incredible in his life. That through that line of faith, because when we think of the line of faith that was passed on from uh, Adam through Seth to Noah, and then from Noah through Shem down to Abram, we want to think that this small little group of people uh, continued to believe the promises of God. But that's not always the case, but it's still a line of faith because it's the line by which God is working And we are going to see God work in Abram's life. So Abram, very likely raised in this pagan culture, worshiping a false pagan God, receives a great call from God, and it causes Terah's family to move. Now, we've not seen the call of Abram yet, but I believe the call of Abram takes place between verse 30 and 31. So we'll place it there in a moment when we get to chapter 12. But look with me at verses 31 and 32. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his sons, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, a great question has to be asked is who started the journey? The text seems at least on the surface to indicate that Terah started the journey because Terah was still alive. Terah was still the head of the household. Now, they're in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is southern Iraq, and they end up going to Haran, which is in southern Turkey. This was primarily a north by northwest journey. But we, being New Testament Christians, have the benefit of the whole counsel of God's word, and the whole counsel of God's word provides for us more details of this story than just this account does. In Acts chapter 7, we're told the story of Stephen, who's been arrested for proclaiming the gospel, and is drugged in front of the high priest, and Stephen, right before losing his life, becoming the first Christian martyr to die during the New Testament age, proclaims clearly the gospel tracing it through the promises of the Old Testament. And this is what he says in Acts 7, starting in verse 2. He says, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land into... Uh, in which you are now living. So when we take the account of Stephen in light of what we see here in Genesis 11, here's the way that we should understand what is happening. That God never placed a call on Terah's life. The call was always on Abram. But at some point in Abram's life, as they were living in the city of their ancestors in Ur, in present-day southern Iraq, God called Abram, that call we will see here in a moment that begins in Genesis chapter 12, and they began the long journey. And Abram took everyone with him. His father, who was uh, still the head of the household, somehow convinced by his son to move, but they moved from one pagan city to another. They didn't take the direct route that would have led them to the promised land. Uh, They took a more traditional route of trade. So they go uh, from Ur to Haran and they settle there. We're not told for how long, but for some period of time, maybe it was because Terah was in his old age. Maybe they were no longer able to travel, but they stay there, the text tells us, until Terah dies. But make no mistake, The call was always on the life of Abram. So we see that call in chapter 12, verse 1. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, and again, I believe this is taking place uh, in the midst of that previous account. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. The call of God on Abram's life is simple. The call of God on Abram's life is simply to go. That this is what God expects Abram to do. To get up and go. To leave this pagan land behind you. To leave behind you this false God worship. To go. God doesn't tell him where he is to go. He simply tells him to go. Now the call of God, the the instruction of God to Abraham, the things that Abraham is supposed to believe will grow. It will grow in this text and it will grow over the course of Abram's life as God continues to reveal things to him. But nonetheless, it begins simply as go. And this call to obey is attached to what we will see as the first of seven promises of God here at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. Do you notice what God says? Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Here's God's promise. Abram, if you'll go, I'll show you where to go. Abram, don't get your map out. It's not going to do you any good. Abram, don't program your GPS. Don't ask Siri for directions, Abram. I'm going to tell you how to get there. Can you imagine Abram's step of faith? Now, some would say that Abram doesn't fully obey God because he brings his kindred with him up to Haran, and then he ends up bringing Lot with him. I don't believe Abram, by the way, was being disobedient because where it says go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, doesn't necessarily mean to leave everyone else behind. This was a call for him to leave his ancestral home. And he does leave some of his kin behind, so much so we know this because later in Genesis, we're going to see Abram send his son back to his homeland to marry someone from his father's house. But Abram obeys It takes some time. He goes to one city and stays for a while, but ultimately Abram obeys. He trusts God, the first promise of God. I will show you where you are to go. Know this. From the very beginning of God's call on Abram's life, faith was required. Faith was required. Now, Because we believe in a sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful God, we trust that God knew that Abram was going to answer that call. But imagine with me for a moment if he had not. Imagine with me for a moment if Abram had had counted the cost and and considered the move to be too great. His family had always lived in this land. We we know because of what the Bible reveals to us later that he was a very wealthy man, that he brought much Uh, with him. Many worldly things traveled with Abram and he continued to grow in that wealth. This was the land of his forefathers. As that genealogy was traced, as we saw last week, that this was where the people had settled that were of that line. It's what he knew. But Abram takes a step out in faith. He goes because God has spoken to him and said to go. And when he goes, God continues in his promise. 
And we see the promise of the Lord to Abraham. There are six more promises that God gives to Abraham. The first was go to where I'll show you. And as Abram goes, making this a conditional covenant, meaning Abram had to respond in faith. You remember when we looked at Noah and the covenant between God and Noah, it was an unconditional covenant that God was making a promise to Noah that no matter what anybody else did, God was never going to destroy the world in a flood again. But the covenant between God and Abram is a conditional covenant. It requires Abram to act in faith. And he does, he goes. And so God continues his promise. He says in verses two and three, and I will make you I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now there are contained here six blessings. Number one, he says, I will, or six uh, promises. He says, I will make you a great nation. So God looks at a man who is in his own homeland, who is a part of a nation, and, and says, you're no longer going to be a part of this people who you're being called to leave, but I'm going to bring you to a new place and make you into a great nation. Number two is a, is a simple promise. I will bless you. So I will bless you, Abram. If you answer my call to go, if you respond in faith, I'm going to make you a great nation. And that great nation is going to be a blessed nation because of your faith. Number three, I will make your name great. Now this is the, the I will statement can be uh, assumed here because this is all an act of God. Remember how we began our series in Genesis. God is the main character. God is the main actor. Abram is responding in faith to what God is doing. And so this is all God. It's just Abram's along for the journey. So I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. Now, when we think about the, the fact that God is saying, I will make your name great, something should rise into our minds because we've just considered it. You see, in the previous chapter in Genesis 11, when we were talking about the Tower of Babel, we read this in verse four. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. The sin at Babel we saw last week was the sin of self-exaltation, the desire to make a great name for oneself. You see, to have a name that's well-known, to have a, in Bible terms, to have a great name is not a sin in and of itself. The sin is to seek to make your own name great. The sin is to say, you know, if I do this, I'm going to become well-known. If I do this, I'm going to bless myself. If I do this, I'm going to grow in my influence and my power. In Abram's day, the sin would have been to say, I'm going to travel on my own to this area, set up camp, and attempt to make a great nation for myself, which was the sin at Babel. The sin at Babel was the desire to make the name of man great outside of the work of God. But when God makes a name great, it is not sinful. When God makes a name great, it is, he does so for his glory. That's why he makes Abram's name great. He makes Abram's name great, not so that Abraham will be well known, but so God will be well known. 
And so God promises, I will make your name great. So we see he's going to make him a great nation. He's going to bless him. And people are going to know him. 4,000 years later, we're still talking about this guy. You think his name was made great? Yes. He has, he has the greatest name in all the world. And think, three of the largest five religions in the world today. 4,000 years after Abraham, trace their history back to this one man. Three of the five. You think his name is great because God has made it great. God is beginning to, this is that first step of the reversal of the curse of Babel where the people of Babel desired to make their own name great. Here comes God taking this one man out of this one pagan city and saying, you, I'm going to make your name great. Then he says this, number four. Fourth, I will bless those who bless you. I will bless those who bless you. So the, this is speaking relationally. This corresponds with the next one where he says, I will curse those who curse you. So relationally speaking, there, there are two promises that God is going to give to Abram. And that is that if people deal rightly with Abram, that God will bless them. But if people deal wrongly with Abram, God is going to curse them. And we'll see that both within the life of Abram and within the life of his offspring, ultimately leading uh, past Genesis to how people deal with the Old Testament nation of Israel. That those who blessed Israel were blessed and those who cursed Israel were cursed. But it all begins here with Abram. And we'll see this story unfold time and again throughout Genesis that when people have a good relationship with Abram, there is good outcome for them. And when people have a bad relationship with him, there is a bad outcome from them because this promise of God holds true. Number six, I will bless all the families of the earth through you. Now this, we, we foreshadowed this last week when we were concluding the idea of Babel and finding the grace in Babel meant tracing that following genealogy that ultimately led to Abram. And, and so I, I, we looked at this kind of in depth last week as a part of our Praise and Go Sunday where we recognized that it, is, that it is through the promise of God to Abram that God will ultimately bless all of the families of the earth. What does this mean? It means that from the beginning, the promise of God to this one little clan was never going to be restricted to them. That it was always going to be God's plan for what he, this work that he begins with Abram here in this one place, in this one time, to last forever. And not only to last forever, but to make its way entirely around the globe. You see, God is starting a work here that is far beyond what Abram could imagine. It's far beyond what he could ever have pictured. God is beginning to do something that is far greater than his own imagination could ever think. That people for millennia would find blessing through the offspring of Abram because all of the families of the earth would be blessed through him, God says. Now, look at verses four through six. So Abram went. This is the act of faith. Abram steps out in faith. God, I don't know where I'm going. God, I don't know how I'm getting there. 
God, I certainly don't know how you're going to do these things because I'm married to this one woman and she has never been able to have children. But Abram went anyway. While for many, this, these promises of God would seem completely imagined, that they would be flights of fancy to think that a man should leave one area and go to another that he doesn't even know where it is, but certainly had never been. And that God would bless his offspring when he has none. And that somehow through them, all of the peoples of the world would find blessing. Yet Abram goes. He trusts God and he went as the Lord told him, verse 4 says. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So the, the journey from Ur of the Chaldeans in present-day southern Iraq to Haran in present-day southern Turkey was a north-by-northwest journey primarily that they made. It would have been an ancient trade route. Now, after the passing of his father, Abram continues his journey and he takes another trade route, one that took him directly south into the land of the Canaanites. Directly south, Settling, if we take some of these cities as, as th that will be mentioned here, uh, taking the path down the Jordan River, ultimately coming close to what would be present day Jerusalem. So while there was a pit stop along the way, ultimately Abram goes as God instructs him and enters the land that God showed him. Then verse seven tells us, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So imagine Abram still doesn't know where he's going. He's just following the Lord and he's taking this next route and he goes into the land of the Canaanites and there he stops and God says, this is the land. This is the seventh and final promise that God gives here in this section. And really it is tied with the first, that the first promise and the seventh promise are ultimately the same. Abram, if you'll go, I'll show you where you're going. And then when he gets there, God says, stop, Abram, look around you, this is it. We see God already fulfilling his promises to Abram in this text. In seven short verses, God has called this man to go, and he goes, and he promises to show him where he is going, and he does so, and he says, look around you, because this is it. To your offspring, I will give this land. So he builds there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. If we go back to Acts chapter 7 where Stephen is speaking in front of uh, the religious elite of the day on trial for his life, he continued in verse 5 and he said, Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. Imagine again, Abram following the Lord's instructions, making these great journeys, believing in God enough to take these steps of faith, all while looking at his own life situation and saying, there is no way this can be so. Because you notice what God says. He doesn't say, Abram, to you, I will give this land. He says, to your offspring, I will give this land. 
And Stephen affirms for us that Abram had no inheritance in it. He never fully possessed that land, even though he does live in it for quite some time. He never fully possessed that land. And his offspring would never fully possess that land until 400 years later. And here's Abram with no offspring to speak of, with a wife who is past childbearing years, having no child, and yet he believes God. A child to an old man with no children was required for Abram to possess this land as God has promised. And yet Abram believed God. And here's how we know that he believed God. We know that he believed God because he went, but we also know that he believes God because what he does here in verse seven. So he built there an altar to the Lord. Abram worships God as an act of faith. Abram says, I don't know how I will take this land. I don't know how, God, you will keep these promises to me. I have no idea how it is that you will use my family, which has no descendants, to bless the nations or to even possess this land or to even carry on to the next generation. But God, I believe you. And Abram worships God. He worships the Lord as a demonstration of that faith. Look at verses eight and nine, concluding this section. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And Bethel on the west and uh, Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on and still going towards the Negev. Now, going towards the Negev means he's continuing to travel south. God, he's gone past the land that God has promised him. Um, and we'll see next week why he continues to travel. But here's what we know. As Abram travels and we see these cities where, where he, he comes close to, he continues to build an altar to the Lord. He continues to call on the name of the Lord. Where we began was Abram in a pagan land, worshiping a pagan God. And where this text ends is Abram in faith, following God, worshiping the one true God who had made this promise and covenant to him. In Hebrews chapter 11, which we've referred so often to Hebrews 11 in our series in Genesis because it's tracing that line of faith from Adam all the way to Jesus for us. We read, by faith he, meaning Abram, went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who would eventually be his sons, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Here's what we know. Abram went and worshiped. And as he continued to go, he continued to worship as an act of faith. Abraham worshiped God without having, fully re, without having full realization of the promise. Abraham had no idea how it would happen. And he would ultimately die not knowing fully how it would happen. And so would the generations after him, which is the point the author of Hebrews is making. That all of these people in the line of Abram would ultimately die having not fully possessed the inheritance that God had promised to them. And yet they still believed God. They couldn't see it, but they believed it. They, they couldn't reach out and touch it, and yet they knew it to be true. What an example of faith for us. That Abram not only went, but as he went, he worshipped and as he worshiped, he demonstrated his faith that God would do what God had promised to do. 
Now, folks, that is the first of probably a thousand times I'm going to say that phrase over the coming months. Because there's a transition that we're going to see here from Genesis 12 through Genesis 15. And that is this primary theme of God is going to do what God is going to do. We'll see it over and over in the life of Abram, ultimately his son Isaac and Jacob, Joseph and his brothers, that the plan of God is now at work. And Abram takes part in that plan by faith. So what? The Lord is faithful to keep his promise to those who respond in faith when called by him. Abram called God, uh, Abram was called by God and he responded in faith and God kept his promise to Abram. And no, we are not Abram, but we take part in the promise of Abram. Abram looked forward to the fulfillment of the promise of God and we New Testament Christians look at the same promise just in reverse. We look back on its fulfillment, recognizing that it is through Jesus that the promise of Abram was fulfilled. And we New Testament Christians believe that the promise of Abram was fulfilled in Jesus and we respond in faith, trusting that God has kept his promise and will continue to do so, continuing to save us, continuing to lead us to an inheritance that is not of this world. It is in heaven waiting for us. Just as Abram did not know where he was going, this inheritance that was promised to him seemed foreign to him. And the inheritance that is promised to us, believers in Jesus, so often seems foreign to us because we can't reach out and touch it yet. Oh, but believer, it's there. It's reality. It's as much reality as anything that you could grab hold of, even more so because God has said it is so. And he is faithful to keep his promises. I want us to end this morning in Galatians chapter 3. If you'll turn your Bibles there, we're going to look at some verses together. And the book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul to a Gentile group of Christians who were young in their faith and some quasi-Jewish Christian people had infiltrated after Paul leaves. If there's ever a book of the Bible that is um, written in the shouting voice, right? If it ever was meant to be written in all caps, it would have been the book of Galatians, okay? Paul's mad. I mean, he's angry. He's angry that these false prophets, have, these false teachers have come into the life of Galatia. And he's angry that these converts, these disciples that he made in that place have started listening to them. And this is what they were trying to do. They were telling these Gentile Christians that they also needed to convert to Judaism. That they need to start keeping the law. That, that to really take hold of the promise, to take hold of the promise meant not only to believe in Jesus, but to also believe in the law. Boy, Paul's angry. And so he writes to them really in just some 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 angry tones correcting this falsehood. And look with me in Galatians 3, because he appeals to Abram. He says this, starting verse 7. Know then that in, in those of faith who are the sons of... Sorry, let me start over. Know then it is those of faith, Christians, who are the sons of Abraham. So he's directly addressing those Jewish people who have infiltrated uh, this church, saying you need, to, you need to also convert to this, all right? Because Paul corrects them. And he says, They're no, that, that's no longer the sons of Abraham. It's those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Then he, he makes his point. And, 
And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So he looks at Gentile Christians and says, there's nothing else that you need to do because you're now descendants of Abraham because of your faith. Abraham was blessed because of faith. You're blessed because of faith. He gives an example, starting in verse 15. He says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. He's talking about the covenant of Genesis 12. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years after, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gives it to Abraham by a promise. So here's what he says. Just because God continues to work in Abram's descendants in new ways, continuing to reveal himself to him, primarily through the law, doesn't mean that the law replaced the promise to Abraham. The promise to Abraham supersedes all of it. And the promise of Abraham finds its fulfillment where? In Jesus. So this is how he ends that chapter, verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abram's offspring Heirs according to promise. Listen to me, folks. The verse before that says, in Christ there is now no Jew or Greek, free or slave, male or female. Here's the point Paul makes for us that we need to all understand today. There is no ethnicity on this planet that makes one right with God. There is no parentage or lineage that makes you more favorable in the eyes of God than some other. But when we come to Christ in faith, we become heirs of the promise of God made 4,000 years ago to Abram. That we now are the great nation. This is what Peter says when when he wrote, but you now, talking to Gentile Christians, you now are a holy nation. That when people bless now this promise of God, when people bless the church of God, they will be blessed. When people curse the church of God, they will be cursed. Because we, the church of God, now are heirs according to promise. There is no other way to be saved but through the promise that God made to Abraham that is fulfilled in his one offspring, Jesus. And God is faithful to keep his promise when we respond in faith. So if you've responded to Christ in faith, you are an heir of Abraham, meaning this, live your life in faith. Even though you can't see it and touch it yet, just like Abraham couldn't, it's fine. Continue to live a life of faith, trusting that God will keep his promise. If you're not in faith in Jesus today, I implore you, dear friend, come to him because it is only in Jesus that you may be made right with God. It is only in Jesus that you may partake in this promise of God to Abraham. No matter your ethnicity, no matter your background, no matter what your mama did or your grandmama did, no matter what church you grew up in, no matter what nation you're a part of, none of that matters. What matters is are you an heir according to the promise of God or not? And the only way to be is to do exactly what Abraham did. Believe in faith in what God has promised. And today, this is the promise of God.
that Jesus Christ died in your place, paying the price for sin that you could never pay in this world. And if you will believe in him and turn from your sins, that he will take you as one who was outside of the family of God and bring him into the family of God and you will now be an heir of Abraham according to the promise of God. And that's the only way. It's the only way any of us could ever come to Christ, making none of us better than another because none of us earned it on our own, but all of us came by faith or we didn't come at all. Abraham, called by God, stepped out in faith and believed. And today, I would ask if you feel the call of God in your life to come to him in faith and repentance, do not tarry, but leave the land of your fathers and believe in him because only through him may we be saved. Let's pray together. Help us, God, because so often we want to think that we're done something to deserve this great call. Here's what we know. Abram didn't. Abram living in a pagan land, very likely participating in pagan activities, was called by God because it was the plan of God to do so. And he believed God in faith and was credited him as righteousness. He believed God in faith and God kept his promise. And we today can believe you in faith that Jesus is that fulfillment, that he is the one who ultimately brings that promise to bear in our lives and we can be saved. So God, would you call men and women and boys and girls to salvation in Christ today, whether they're sitting in this room or watching with us online, we would pray, God, that your spirit, just as you called Abram all those years ago, would call people into you today. And I pray for the Christians gathered together today that no matter what is thrown at us in this world, that no matter what seems to get in our way, we would believe in faith in the promise of God and live lives of faith to the bitter end, we ask, knowing that an inheritance awaits us that while we can't see it, we can trust it because you, O oh God, have promised it. We ask in Jesus' name.